0: Good morning everyone. Good to see you today. We are considering in this message series that we're wrapping up today the unique assignments that God has given us as a church. We're calling these assignments God Dreams. Our God Dream is a vision of the future that begins first in the mind of God and then is given to us. And church is the unique place where God invites us not just to dream our dreams but to dream his dream and then work together to see those dreams become reality. Whenever God gives us a vision of the future, He presents it to us inside of a frame. There are limits to that dream. That's because while God's dreams are very big, we are obviously limited. And so God gives us a doable part of what He wants accomplished in the future. And the frame that marks the doable limits has four sides to it, and we've been looking at these sides. The first side we looked at is our mission. This answers the, the what question. What are we doing? It's a simple statement that Uh, gives us direction and focus about everything we're doing. And here's our simple statement, thoughtfully inviting broken people to experience transformation in Christ. The next side we looked at is our values. Turns out God is not only interested in what we do, but also why we do it. Our motives are very important to God. And so we looked at the why that moves us to accomplish this mission. And then we turned to the next side of the frame, which is our strategy. This answers the how question. How are we going to do this? If we don't answer this question, then it just remains a dream. Until it turns into a set of doable activities, it's just going to remain a dream. And then we turned our attention to the last side. We finished this up last week, which is our measures. This answers the one question. When are we successful? How will we know when we're, we're actually arriving at some of these destinations that we believe God wants us to go to? So now having completed the four sides of the frame, we are now ready to consider the picture that goes inside the frame. The picture answers the where question. Where is God taking us? What's our best understanding of some of the destinations out in the future that we think God wants us to arrive at? Now, every God dream takes time to accomplish. They don't just suddenly appear. You see this throughout the pages of the Bible. For example, God told Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation. That just didn't happen quickly. In fact, 25 years after God told him that this was what was going to happen in his future, he had his first son. For 25 years, it didn't look like there was even going to be a child, let alone a nation, that would come out of that dream. It took 25 years to get it started. And then God told Joseph, another man in the Bible, that he would be a great ruler one day. Well, from that point on, he went into slavery and then into prison. And 15 years later, he did rise to become second in command under Pharaoh. So it takes time to accomplish a God dream. But in that time that goes from dream to reality, there is important smaller steps to be taken. God dreams don't just materialize before us as we sit back and watch God do his thing. No, the way God dreams work is is we are invited to be a part of those. We walk towards these destinations day by day, step by step, action by action. And so a clear picture of where God is taking us really helps us make sure that we are making daily progress. We see the future and move towards the future much the way we see a horizon as we move towards the horizon with our eyes. Furthest beyond the horizon in this picture, of course, it's beyond the mountain range, is what's beyond our vision. It's beyond the horizon. This is the dream part. We can't see it, but we can't imagine it. And that allows us to set direction and, and move towards something that we cannot see. But if we're going to get to that destination, that dream that's beyond horizon, the next thing we're going to have to do is consider the background of what our eyes can see. And we do the same thing as we move forward in time. If we're going to get to some of these dreams, then where are we going to have to be, say, in about three years from now, if we're going to be on track to arrive at some of these dreams that God has for us? That's the background question that we have to answer. And then our eyes turn next to the midground. If we're going to get to these locations beyond the horizon and arrive at these background locations within three years, where would we need to be in about a year from now to begin to accomplish some of this? That's the midground question. And then finally, we have to look at the foreground. Where do we get started? In the next, let's say, 90 days or so, what are the most important things for us to do if we're going to ever arrive at this place in a year and arrive at this place in three years and eventually arrive at the destinations beyond the horizon in, say, five years or more. So every single step that we take allows us to move towards the direction of the dream. But we have to make sure that we understand where that dream is. We have to begin by looking beyond the horizon to orient ourselves and set our direction correctly. So today... I want to set before us as a church three images of where we believe God is taking us in, say, the next five or so years. Now, if you're new to Seabreeze, well, you've picked a great time to be here. You get a chance to, to see really in summary form kind of what's important to us and where we're going. So here's the first of the three images that we begin to see emerging out of the fog of where we think God wants us to be in five or so years. The word is restoration. This is the first of three. Restoration. We dream of being a place where God restores the individuals and families of our community. Now, restoration is a big deal in this city. The signs of restoration are everywhere. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of what this city used to look like, but here's, a, here's what it used to look like from the pier in 1962. If you went out on the pier and you looked north, this is what you would see in 1962. The, um, the cliffs, the bluffs, were just covered with oil wells. That's not what you see now. This is what you see now. This is what it looks like today. Now, that didn't happen quickly, that change. It was a very costly and very long-term project to restore and transition our city from an historic oil town into a popular tourist destination that we get to call home. Now, there's still lots of oil wells around, but it doesn't look anything like it did back in 1962. And I remember when we moved here in 1990, there was all kinds of talk about restoring the Bolsa Chica wetlands. That didn't happen quickly. It was a very long and expensive project to restore much of the Bolsa Chica wetlands, which is close by where we live. But whether it's restoring the land or restoring wetlands or uh, the, the way the sea moves... That's not the only thing that we restore in this city. I don't know if you know this, but our church is positioned in the middle of one of the top car restoration locations in the nation, classic car restorations. Here's an image of one of the shops just down the street. But all during the week, all up and down Gothard, there's a lot of classic cars that are being restored in the shops that line this street. So it's clear that we are a city intent on improving and restoring what has maybe become broken or discarded or toxic into what it was intended to be. But of course, cars and wetlands and old oil fields are not the only restoration project that's going on in this city. God is at work restoring the lives of individuals that have been damaged and broken by the corroding effects of sin. God is the one who has told us how to build a life that is a blessing. Not only did he design every person for a unique purpose, he has given us a user's manual of sorts to guide us as we construct and build our lives. But for the most part in this city, there's a pretty wide unawareness of what God has said, and there's also a widespread decision to chase maybe pleasure or fortune and the result of those two not knowing what God has said and deciding just to pursue what I want, that is having a corrosive effect on the lives of the people of the city. Now, you can't see it on the surface. It's kind of like rust that begins to build and bubble below the surface. On the surface, what you see is beauty and sunshine and wealth and kind of having it all together. In fact, maybe you noticed this past week we were designated as one of the happiest places in this nation to live, in Huntington Beach. And, you know, if you visited here, you might look out and say, I'd be much happier if I lived here. But when you look at how they describe happiness, I mean, all that you can do in a survey is, you know, measure things like wealth and income and, you know, the number of opportunities available. But if you scratch below the surface of those surface indicators, what you'll find, and we know this, you will find our friends and neighbors who are experiencing the decaying effects of life that is separated from the designer, from God himself. We see it in families that are eroding, relationships that are broken and falling apart. We see it in the pain and the addictions that just eat away at so many people's lives like that rust below the surface. And so our dream is to be God's restoration shop for families and individuals in our community. That's where we're headed. This is a place of restoration where God's power reverses the destructive effects of sin and over time restores people to the glory of what he created them to be. In the book of Jeremiah, God is presented, he presents himself actually as the master potter who is ready to restore pottery, clay that has been marred. Here's what we read in Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. This is God speaking. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seems best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does? Declares the Lord. And my first attempts at pottery were in the second grade. Maybe you had this experience. It was a disappointing experience. We took time in our class to form lumps of clay into different kind of household dishes, and then um, we got a chance to pick from a number of paint and paint it kind of any way we wanted. And so I carefully formed my piece of pottery, and then I picked some of my favorite colors and carefully painted this piece of pottery. And then it was put in the kiln, and what came out of the kiln was not anything like what I had imagined that it would turn out to be. Something had happened in the firing of that clay. The flaws that were embedded in that pottery were now pretty big cracks that ran throughout that piece of pottery. And the paint didn't look anything like it did when I painted it. The paint was now faded. Now, unfortunately, at this point, it was too late to do anything about it. The piece of pottery was no longer soft. It was hardened, and there was nothing that could be done. This is the same kind of thing that happens in life, and this is what this passage is referring to. Recently, I talked with a friend who is pretty disappointed with how his life has turned out. Now, he's put a lot of effort into building a life. He was very careful about his selection of who to marry. And he put a lot of investment into the building of his career, and he's been very successful. But what he had imagined as he was crafting his marriage and crafting his career doesn't match with what he was hoping it might be. It didn't turn out that way. Something happened with what he had formed in the heat of life. And the flaws that now existed kind of below the surface in him and the flaws that existed in his wife, they're now pretty big cracks that eventually ended up breaking up their marriage. Now, whatever we build in life, we are doing the same kind of thing that the potter does. In fact, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for imagination is the exact same word that's used for potter. It means to form into reality. So a potter starts with an image in their mind of something they want to form into the future. This is what we all do. We imagine of the kind of life that we want to build and what we want to mold out of our lives. And so we try to mold that into reality. But why is it so difficult for us to turn our imagination into reality? Well, it's because it turns out it's not just us doing imagining. It's, there are two imaginations. There's our imagination about what we want, and there's God's imagination about what he wants. And God is the master potter. He forms plans and then shapes the future according to those plans. We are more like the clay. Now, we are a unique kind of clay. We're not just a lump of clay that are acted on and we have no will and no uh, say in the future. No, we we are more like intelligent clay. We are created by God to join him in forming plans that fit within his. That's why we're intelligent, Clay. The problem is, as it says in this passage, the clay is now marred. There's flaws inside the clay. Our sin, our decision to go it alone in life, has marred us on the inside. And so we've now become a resistant type of clay that tends to shape itself into the future that it wants, independent of what God's plans are. And the plans that we make without God Continually harden into something that brings us a lot of pain. The problem is, after something has been hardened into reality, we we can't change it. It's like my piece of pottery that came out of the kiln. It's too late to change it then. And this is the way our history is. We can't change history. So, what can be done? Well, if clay becomes too hard to shape, maybe it dries up on the potter's wheel or it comes out of the kiln and it's fired and it's not what the potter wants, then what a potter does is they just throw it out into the pile of broken pottery and start over with a new lump. So if you've ever seen a potter shape clay, you will notice somewhere off to the side is just a bunch of broken pieces of shards of pottery. Those are projects that didn't turn out the way they were supposed to. This is what a potter does, but God does not do that. Even though history cannot be changed, our hearts can be. And so, if a heart will become soft before God, then he has the power to restore, to make something new out of that. That's called restoration. Now, it takes a great deal of skill, a lot more than I had in the second grade, to make something beautiful and useful out of a lump of clay. But in order to take flawed clay, the raw material that is our sinful lives and hearts and pasts that has been hardened and is now broken, to take that and make something useful and beautiful out of that, well, that takes a master potter. Only God can do that. God's creative genius shines most whenever he restores beauty out of flawed clay like us. The question, though, that God asks in this Jeremiah passage is the same question that's being asked of us and everyone in this community. Why can't I do this with you? Why won't you let me do this with you? And the answer is, their hearts were hard. If you read down through the rest of Jeremiah 18, you'll see that the reason is because they were still full of their plans and their ideas about the future. And they were unwilling to put their life in the hands of God and say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Their hearts were hard. In order for God to restore a life, the heart must first soften. Now, whenever life disappoints us, what's happening in the middle of that disappointment, in addition to the pain, is an invitation from God. It's God's way of saying, are you ready now to submit your plans to the master plan? Now, at the point of pain, the point of breaking, the point of disappointment, many people will scramble just simply to make backup plans. We're really good at backup plans and try to piece their life together into something better. But at the point of pain, at the point of disappointment, of breaking, a few will consider whether there might just, in fact, be more to their life than their plans. So the question that we have as we look to the future as a church is how can we better position ourselves to be a place where this kind of people restoration takes place? Now, restoration is not a new project here at Seabreeze. I mean, it's been going on for the three decades that we've been a church. But in a city of over 200,000, surrounded by many more who are part of this church, the restoration need is massive. So as we look beyond the horizon and we dream, we've decided that we need to stretch ourselves and ask God to do more restoration here than we normally get a chance to see occur. You know, one of the clearest indicators of a heart that has surrendered to God and his restoration power is the simple step of baptism. If you've seen a baptism here at Seabreeze, what you're watching is an individual deciding to place their life and their plans into the hand of the master potter. This is the, the visible indication of a soft heart towards God. It's a decision that Jesus said is to mark those who've decided to follow him and turn their life over to his power of restoration. And each year, we see, on average, about 30 people take this step of baptism here at Seabreeze. So our prayer is to see 350 people take this step in the next five years. Now that's, well, that's more than double. Only God can do this. But this isn't going to happen as we just wish it to be and even pray, as important as that is. There's going to be a lot for us to do to see this dream become reality. The second image, as we look out beyond the horizon, is the image of bridges. We dream of being a place that builds bridges of God's restoration and his love into our community. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says this, but how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And how is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? They're intentional. This is why Scripture exclaims, a sight to take your breath away. Grand processions of people telling all the good things of God. Now, whenever someone is separated from god far from him there is a chasm a separation that exists between them and god and there are many ways to describe that chasm it may be an idea chasm in other words they have some ideas in their mind that are contrary to god's ideas and god's understanding of things it may be a fear chasm they just don't know what's going to happen if they start doing life god's way it may be a guilt chasm they don't think that there's any hope for someone who's done what they have done and this is what keeps them separated from God they they don't understand the ideas that are required in order for them to restore a relationship with God and and follow Jesus Christ or they feel too much guilt or they are really too nervous and scared to turn their life over to him But then they meet someone who has crossed this bridge, who has decided to follow Jesus Christ. They meet someone who is on the other side of this chasm, someone that they grow to trust. And that relationship becomes a bridge between them and what it might look like for them to follow Jesus Christ. And on that bridge, the bridge of that relationship, the ideas of God's love for them in Christ can travel. They can be transported. On that bridge, questions can be asked. On that bridge, they get a chance to see firsthand what it might look like if they were to follow Christ because they're looking at someone who is doing it. Now, the strength of these relationship bridges are measured in trust. Are you someone who really, really cares about them is the main question. Now, when someone gets to a point in their life where they call for help, the first question they ask is, who can I trust? Who can I trust? They're usually not going to take the massive, giant step of trusting the invisible God who really can be trusted, the one who can be trusted. They're not going to take that step until they have heard about him from someone they do trust. But these bridges between people who need help, and the God who can give help, they don't just build themselves. Someone has to be sent, like any bridge. There has to be intentionality in order for it to be constructed. But when this happens, when these bridges of relationships are constructed, well, it's a sight to take your breath away, as it says. Grand processions of people moving across these bridges of relationships, telling all the good things of God. So let me describe to you our grand procession dream. Here's what we dream about. In the next three years, we would like to train 100 spiritual conversation initiators and gospel presenters. The gospel is the word for the good news of Christ. I mean, many of you really do want to share your faith in Christ with other people. Many of you have told me this. The challenge is you're not really comfortable and sure how to do that. But you can learn. You can learn how to initiate spiritual conversations to see if a person might be open to a further conversation about God. And if they are, you can learn how to share the gospel in a very clear and very concise way. So just imagine with me, if there were a hundred people here from Seabreeze that not only had been trained, but on a weekly basis, they were looking for opportunities to initiate spiritual conversations. And on a weekly basis, they were looking for and taking advantage of the opportunities of those who are open to share just briefly two, three minutes of what it actually means to have their relationship with God restored imagine all the restoration that could take place if just a hundred people were doing that. Well, that's our dream over the next three years. And in that time, we would also like to develop five church-wide bridges into this community. Now, church used to be at the very center of the communities of this nation. That, of course, is no longer the case. Now church is on the fringe, and that's why this morning in our community, when 200,000 plus people woke up, almost none of them had church on their mind. None of them, almost, thought, you know, it might be helpful for me to spend an hour at church this morning. That's just not a category for most people anymore. So we need bridges to where people really are in this community. So a great example of a bridge that we have constructed in our community is Upward Basketball. This is a basketball league that we started years ago uh, for grade school-age kids. If you've ever been here on a Saturday during Upward Season, it's just crawling with all kinds of people having fun playing basketball. And the reason we did this is because there are many more families in this community that are interested in in a great basketball league for their kids than are interested in church. So they come here for basketball. And in the process, they get to know the Christian coaches. They get to know some Christian families on their teams. And they get to hear just some short ideas, short devotionals out of the Bible as their kids practice and as they have games. And then by the end of the season, there's usually a few of them that decide, you know what, I think I'll visit that church on a Sunday. In fact, my guess is some of you are here today because that's how you first found out about this church was through upper basketball. Now, that's just one bridge. We dream of working on five bridges. Now, we may start some and decide that's not really a good bridge and start someone else, but we dream of constructing five bridges like this into our community. And if that happens, and there's a hundred spiritual conversation initiators and gospel presenters, I'm telling you, from heaven's perspective, that's going to be a sight that will take your breath away. Grand processions of people telling all the good things of God. And then the third image that we have as we look to the future is captured by the image of a wave, waves. We dream of being a place that extends the power of God's restoration beyond this place, beyond this community. You know, the waves that crash crash onto the beaches of this city have traveled thousands of miles to get here. It's the same with God's restoration. We're not the first ones to be restored by the power of Jesus Christ. We're recipients of God's blessing that has traveled through many people across many bridges, and over thousands of years to reach us. And we are not to be the last ones ever restored. God restores it so that we might be a part of his historic wave of restoration that expands out beyond us to more places and then forward into the future. 2,700 years ago, the Jewish people We're finally returning home from exile. And so the thing that was top on their mind was rebuilding their destroyed nation. And that makes sense. But God says this in Isaiah 49, verse 6, as they get ready to rebuild the capital city of Jerusalem and their nation. God says... It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel that I've kept. It's too small of a thing for you just to rebuild this nation. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, they're getting ready to rebuild a nation, and God says that's too small of a task. Now, rebuilding a nation is a big task. We would love to have that on our resume. George Washington gets that on his resume. He's a great man. We we are not going to have the chance to do anything quite that great because our nation is already here. But God says even nation building is too small of a thing for you to accomplish. He has something even bigger in mind for us. He intends for those he rescues and restores to now bring his salvation to the ends of of the earth. That's the only dream that's big enough for the human soul. So, should we all quit our jobs, catch the next flight out of LAX to some remote part of the world? Well, maybe a few will, but not most of us. Why? Well, what he says in this verse is very important to understand. I will also make you a light. Also is a very important word to understand. The word also means in addition to. So what they were doing, rebuilding a nation, was fine. God's not saying, hey, abandon the nation-building thing to do this. He's saying, it's just too small to just do this. Do this, but also extend my light to the ends of the world. So if you're a parent, especially if your kids are young, that is a consuming task. It's going to take much of your day, much of your years. But, you know, as important as that is, that's too small of a thing for you to do. It's too small of a thing for you to come to the end of your life and say, you know what, I raised some good kids. That's a great thing. That's a big thing. But it's not big enough. In addition to that, you also were created to be a part of this, extending God's light out to the ends of the world. If you're an employee... You're building a career, that is a consuming task, and that's a good task. But if, if all you do is have a good career and amass enough resources to retire, that's too small of a thing. It's a good thing, it's just not big enough. You were also designed to be a part of this. If you own a business, that's a great thing, and it will consume you, especially if you're starting it up. You're not going to get much sleep at all, and that's a good thing, but it's not a big enough thing. You also need to be a part of being a light to the ends of the world. You see, what this is saying is it's not enough for us to live inside the walls of our everyday world and to come to the end of our lives having built a good family, built a good career, had a decent retirement. That's just not enough. It's too small of a thing. You and I were created for much bigger dreams. So the question then is, it's the very practical question of this. How do we add bringing God's salvation to the ends of the earth to our days? I mean, how do you raise kids and have a career and, oh, extend the light of God's salvation to the ends of the world? How do you just kind of add that on? That's a big add. Well, on your own, you really the—you can't do that very well. This is one of the great blessings of being a part of a church like this. The church allows us to be parents and to have jobs and to own businesses, but also to team together to send waves of God's blessing outward. In a church of our size, there will be a handful of people over time that will go. They will be sent out. They will leave this community to start churches somewhere else. They may get on a plane to get there. They may move five cities away to get there. And those who decide to do that, that's a big decision. And it requires a great deal of training to lead in starting a new church or ministry. The failure rate on a new church start far exceeds the failure rate of a new business, and a failure rate on a new business is not good. So this is not for the faint of heart And this is not for those who just have an idea. This is for those who are serious, are clear that God has called them, and they have the training to back it up. So our dream is to start one new church or ministry in the next five years. That is going to be a stretch. It's not just going to happen. How is it going to happen then? Well, three years ago, we began to partner with two other churches here in Southern California to begin to offer a five-year training program for those who have proven themselves to be faithful in our churches and who sense that God is calling them into professional ministry, calling them to do this kind of thing. It's called the Antioch Project. And upon completion of this five-year training, they can earn a fully accredited master's degree in theology. Now, the academic degree is just an indication of the seriousness of this training. But an academic degree doesn't mean you're necessarily qualified to lead in this. That's why this is a church-based training program. If you can lead in the context of a church, you just might be able to lead in the start of a new one. If you pass a test in seminary, who knows what you can do? It's just like any other academic degree. This is a church based training. Currently, there are eight students from Seabreeze that are in this training. There's about 35 in total from the three churches. Our goal is to have 30 new students start this training in the next five years. That will allow us to have the people that might be able to lead in the start of a new church. Now, a few are going to go. A few are going to get trained to do this, but most will not go. Most will not be a part of this training. Most will not start new churches. This is where the rest of us come in. The training is called the Antioch Project because Antioch is the city where the first church planters were sent out 2,000 years ago. Their names? Paul and Barnabas. The first ones ever to go out, start a church. Now, this happened not because Paul and Barnabas one day decided, hey, let's go do this. No, a church sent them. And the church sent them after, we know for Paul, it was at least three years of training. And Paul and Barnabas were supported by a church full of people with everyday jobs who gave so that they could go, who prayed so that they could go. You know, giving to the work of God through the church is one of the best ways to send waves of blessing into the future. Now, this year, I turned 60. Now, I don't feel 60. And kind people tell me that I don't look 60. But the calendar doesn't lie. I am 59. And come September, mm, I'll be 60. And you know, I could make 50 sound the way I want it to, and 40 sound the way I want it to, but 60, <laughs> 60 is 60, you know, what can you say? And I've spent about 29 years of my 60 years leading at this church, and my prayer is that God would grant me at least 10 more years of leadership. I don't know what he'll do, but that's my prayer. But before we turn over the leadership of this church to the next generation, I would love, I would love to put this church into the hands of high-quality, well-trained leaders. And that's why I'm spending, I'd say, about a third of my time right now in training the next generation. And if you're paying attention, you're seeing it happen. You're seeing the next generation emerge, the future unfold before our eyes. And you know, I would also love to finish this site and turn it over to the next generation with very little debt. Now, you may look around and say, I think it is finished. Well, a lot of it's finished. If you go to the restrooms, they're not finished. And so we're looking into what we might need to do to to complete this site before then. So this, this is our God dream. Beyond the horizon, we dream of being an even better center of restoration. We dream of the bridges that will allow the restoration power of Jesus Christ to extend into this community and through our relationships. And we dream. Of being a place where waves of the future and the next generation might expand here and beyond to the ends of the world. Now, this is not our dream. This is God's dream. We could never do this. I mean, 350 people baptized? Only God can do that. But as we work together under God's direction, He can do this. And He can do even more. So As we wrap up the series, I want to invite you to put your shoulder to the load of this dream and help us advance. Join with us. Work together to see this dream become reality. And to that end, I want to invite you to become a member of this church with the commitment to advance this. This is what it means to be a member here at Seabreeze. Summarized in just two things. First of all, you've decided to follow Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, and you've been baptized of your own free choice as an indication of that decision. That's the first requirement. The second requirement is just simply you're willing to work together to accomplish our dream within the frame of what I've presented over these past 10 weeks. That is, you you want to advance our mission. You agree with, and you want to advance this mission. You want to live by our values. No one does this perfectly, but This is the compass setting that you keep getting back on track with, together with us. You want to adopt our strategy, and you want to work towards arriving at the measures that we've set out.